Hi, my name is Peter Bregman, and I'd like to invite you to our upcoming Bregman Leadership Intensive. So I want to share a story to give you an example of some of the stuff that we do. I'm going to change the names. So Joe was a senior leader in an organization, and after one of our debriefs, he stood up and he said, you know, there's something I want to tell you about leadership. And Diane raised her hand and said, you know, every time you speak like that, it distances me from you, it disengages me from you. And he said, I, I, I'm, I'm just telling you, I've been a leader a long time. And she said, yeah, just like that, Joe, that disengages me. And I stopped the action for a moment. I said, look, you know, Joe's in a blind spot, but let's just see if this is real. So there were 20 people in the intensive. We capped the intensive at 20. And I said, who else feels like Diane feels? 19 hands went up. So I said, okay, so there's something here, Joe, and, and let's help you through it. Now, here's what I want you to do. You keep talking. Just keep saying what you were saying beforehand. And everybody else, help Joe out. When Joe says something that engages you, take a step closer to him. When he says something that disengages you, take a step away. Joe, keep talking. And so Joe said, look, this is what I wanted to tell you about leadership. Everybody took a step back. And then he said, you know, I've been a leader a long time, so, and everybody took a step back. Finally, he threw his hands up and he said, I don't understand what's happening here. And everybody took a step forward. And then he said, I don't know what to do. And everybody took a step forward. And through this very visceral, physical feedback, Joe began to learn what he did that disengaged people and lost them along the way, and what he can do through his own courage and vulnerability in order to engage them and inspire them and bring them forward. Everybody in that room had some other obstacle, and we all learned from Joe's obstacle and from each other's obstacles, but we each had an opportunity, everybody had an opportunity to be in the middle of that room and uncover something they didn't even know existed that was holding them back. If you feel you could benefit from this kind of a transformation and you're ready to embrace emotional courage in your leadership and in your life, visit bregmanpartners.com forward slash leadership to learn more and apply for the intensive. Remember, that's bregmanpartners.com forward slash leadership. Don't hesitate because we cap the intensive at 20 people and we're already going through a bunch of applications. I would love one of those to be yours. Okay, now let's head to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. Joining us today on the Bregman Leadership Podcast is John Zaratsky. He is the author with Jake Knapp of Make Time, How to Focus on What Matters Every Day. A little bit of a twist on a time management book. It's, you know, it's about 100 tactics that uh, Jake and John have experimented with over the years to uh, use time and, I dare say it, your life more effectively. And so um, John is on the podcast with us today. Uh, he is, he's written for the Wall Street Journal, Time, Harvard Business Review, Wired, Fast Companies. He, he used to work with Jake at Google, and they developed, uh, they wrote a book previous to this called Sprints, and they developed the Sprint process. But he's got some, you know, some big world experience and big company experience, as well as some very pragmatic 
uh, perspectives on how we can all be living our lives a little bit more uh, productively and effectively. So, John, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Talk to us about why you decided to write this book in the first place, like what the genesis of this book was, and it's very different than Sprint. And, yeah. and so I'm kind of curious what brought you there. Yeah. Well, there's a short version and a long version, and I'll start with the short version and we can see where that goes. Uh, the short answer is that Jake and I both worked in technology. We worked at, at Google. I was at YouTube. We worked together at Google Ventures, which took us into uh, almost 200 different startups over the course of about five years. And it was a very interesting spot because uh, we were both kind of behind the scenes and on the inside of a lot of the the products and technologies and apps that sometimes we feel like kind of suck our time away from us, you know, Twitter and Instagram and, and news apps and, and YouTube and all the things that, uh, you know, make it hard for us to, to focus. We were sort of involved in creating many of those things, um, which is a unique perspective. But at the same time, we, we personally struggled to make time for the stuff that was important. And and, and it wasn't just, you know, the stuff outside of work. It was even our work itself. You know, we were both designers and we often felt like we didn't have time to do our work at work. Um, so we, we were in this spot where we're both in the sort of epicenter of a very connected, always on, very intense work culture, but also sort of looking behind the curtain at how some of these technologies are made. And, and that's what motivated us to, to write this book. You know, it's so interesting. I've been reading a bunch of articles recently, too, about how Silicon Valley uh, leaders are treating their own families around technology, right? That like we're we're all building all of this technology and yet saying to our kids, don't use it. Right. And <laughs> and it's and it's interesting how so much of the work that we're doing, you know, it's it's a little bit from an attention perspective, I never really thought about it this way, but if you think about the food industry, you know, and like, what's the role of Doritos, right? And it's not in making you more healthy, right? Yeah. But I wonder whether a lot of the technology that's coming out is the sort of technological equivalent of junk food, right? Which is that we're creating stuff we don't necessarily want our kids to use because it's not – because it's it's distracting as opposed to enhancing. And I don't exactly know what my question is here, but it's an yeah. observation. I wonder if you're seeing the same thing. I think it's it's – even more tricky than the Doritos because it's as if the Doritos also had some really good, useful, life-changing uh, properties. Um, and, and I think that's the, that's what drives the optimism that so many of us have. And I'm still, I'm still a technology optimist. I'm a, you know, sort of, uh, I still believe in the promise of a lot of the work that's being done in Silicon Valley. Um, but, but there, it's not all good. And I think I think that the shift that's taking place right now, to me, it's not about realizing like, oh, what did we do? It's more about kind of uh, shifting from being default. Let's take it all. Let's have it all. It's all good to realizing, oh, there are some there are some uh, some side effects. There are some some hidden problems, um, both to us personally in terms of our ability to pay attention and, and have control of our time, but also to society, to our system of government, uh, to our media. Um, so I think we're just kind of, I think what's happening is a lot of us are sort of rounding out our view of 
of what the, these technologies really mean. And I actually think what it puts the onus on is us to be adults in the room and say, you know, what are we going to leverage because it's useful and what are we going to not? And then I think what your book does very well, and maybe we'll just jump into it now, is how to create some structures around us so it's easier to make smart choices about what is adding productivity and value to our lives and 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 unproductivity right i mean the you know yeah. i don't think that's a word but but <laughs> like to you know to allow us to be unproductive in an energizing way as opposed to unproductive in an energy sapping way and right. and like you know what are some tricks and tips and you know ideas that we can leverage to allow us to use the technology for its best and not and not let it wear us down. Yeah. Well, before I jump right into that, um, I think you touched on something really interesting, uh, which is the the sort of pivot from what's the tech industry doing to what are we as individuals doing? Because there obviously are a lot of conversations uh, taking place, and there there are you know Apple has screen time features, Google's got digital well being features, uh, Facebook has time well spent. So clearly, all of these companies are thinking about this stuff and concerned about it, but but we as individuals, we can't wait for these tech companies to give us our time back. You know, it, right. it's it, it's it's not our fault that these that we're spending so much time in these products. But at the same time, we're the only ones who can really do something about it on a pragmatic day to day per, uh, perspective, which which is you know what your question is about. It, it might be the equivalent of you know if you want to be pessimistic about it, a cigarette pack. And if you want to be more optimistic about it, but still not super optimistic about it, like alcohol, where where the goal is to still sell alcohol or cigarettes, but they'll also have something on it that says, by the way, don't abuse this. Right. And, and <laughs> right. so like the goal of Apple and Facebook is they're still to get them to use use their apps and use, yeah. you know, like spend time there. They're still yeah. measuring as success how much how much screen time you're using, but at the same time, kind of saying, and by the way, this may not be great for you. So yeah. I think like the I think you're right, but I think the takeaway is assuming we're not gonna all throw away our phones and stop stop using all technology. We have to have ways of being responsible ourselves for how we use the technology so that it's used to our advantage. And the same thing for the people yeah. who work with us, et cetera. That's exactly right. Yeah. So share with us, you have a you know, very, very briefly, your larger framework, the sort of highlight, laser, energize, and reflect the, the general framework. And then let's start talking tips. And I just want to <laughs> you know, machine gun a whole bunch of tips, like throw out some stuff that people should be thinking about and ways they could maybe take back control. Sure. Sounds good. Yeah. So these four steps are um, kind of the, the core that we think everybody can benefit from. Part of the reason there's so much stuff in this book, there's so many tactics, is that everybody's different. We didn't want this to be a one-size-fits-all thing. We know that's not realistic. But at the same time, we think there are kind of some core ideas. And so it starts with uh, proactively choosing a highlight that you will prioritize and protect in your day. It's this idea of what's the one thing I want to make sure that I make time for today. Laser is all about creating barriers to distraction. So adjusting our phones, our computers, our email, even our living rooms uh, to make it less uh, sort of less tempting to get distracted. Energize is all about 
building energy so that we can make good use of this time. And it really comes down to taking care of our bodies uh, by focusing on things that we all know we should be doing, like getting good sleep and eating good food. But in the book, we, we give a bunch of really, really concrete ways to do that. And then the fourth step, Reflect, is all about looking back at the end of the day, not in some, you know, big journal or, you know, anything really in depth, but making a few notes about, you know, how we spent our time. Did we make time for our highlight and which of those tactics worked well for us and which ones do we want to try in the future? Sort of adopting an experimental mindset for design learning for your time. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. I actually just read some very interesting research that says that they they studied they took a group of people and some of them didn't reflect and the other ones reflected and they spent 15 minutes a day reflecting and mm -hmm. that 15 minutes a day at the end of the day reflecting what worked what didn't work what do I want to do tomorrow uh, resulted in a 20% increase in productivity which is kind oh, of wow. massive i mean yeah, you know 20% is. is a day a week right that like, is to massive. just put things in perspective and and 15 minutes of reflection gave you a 20% uh, increase in productivity. So, yeah. so there's a, there's a similar, um, uh, piece of research, I guess it's not that similar, but the, that we read about in the book that has to do with email and how people who checked their email sort of, you know, dealt with their email fewer times over the course of a day were actually better at doing email. So they, they spent less time on it, but they got faster doing it. Um, and, and in, you know, in the process, they were, they were less distracted and their time was less fragmented. So right. it is, it's always great to learn these small, relatively small changes that can have, uh, kind of leveraged outsized influences on, um, on, you know, our days and how we feel. Which is the whole idea of the experimentation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's actually talk about and you break uh, the book into these categories of highlight, laser, energize, and reflect. So let's start with highlight. Um, and uh, you know, I'm gonna I'll, I'll share some of my thoughts, but I'm really curious, like in your experience, for what you've seen, you know, the highlights of highlight. Like, what are some, <laughs> you know, like what are some top uh, uh, tactics? that you really like that you write about in the book that you think, you know, will make a big difference in people's lives in terms of, you know, getting that primary focus early in the day? Yeah. So I think the the key question when it comes to highlights is to to sort of picture yourself at the end of the day thinking, what was what was the highlight of my day? You know, what was great about this day? And then reverse engineering your plan for the day so that you do that one thing. Um, sometimes it can be something that you need to get done and that can be that can feel good. Sometimes it can be something that's like a satisfying project that nobody's asking you to do, but you you know you want to make time for it. And it can also just be something that uh, that will bring you joy, something that is going to be fun, is going to make you happy. Um, but but kind of thinking, thinking, you know, starting at the end and thinking about um, what you want the highlight of your day to be. Once you have an idea for that, um, the simple act of writing it down is incredibly powerful. Uh, just having a, a piece of paper and and making a note of of that one thing that you want to prioritize in your day. Um, I always schedule my highlight, so I kind of build my day around my highlight. So you write and it I, down in your calendar. I do. I write it. I actually write it in two places. Um, I write. I just have a note on my phone where I I type it in, and then I I put it on my calendar. And I am. Uh, we can talk about this more, but but I I love my calendar. Uh, I, I, it's, you know, some people I think get stressed out by calendars, but I I think the calendar is the is the most uh, underrated 
tool in terms of of you know making good use of our time because it takes this thing that's so abstract and so amorphous and makes it visible, makes it uh, tangible, and allows to plan out what we want to do with our time. In my in my time management book, in eighteen minutes, I talk about the same thing. I basically say that your calendar is your working document, your to do list is your intake document, and. And what I like about the calendar is that, you know, not only is it concrete about when and where, but it's limited. Yep. So I could have 40 things on my to-do list, but I have to be strategic and intentional about what I'm going to do in that hour. Yeah. So if I could define that, the limitation of the calendar is what makes it most useful. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, one of the things that, that helps a lot is separating the decision about what to do from the act of doing it. Because I know if I sit down, you know, in front of the computer and I have a big to-do list and I've got a fresh cup of coffee and I'm feeling really, really energetic and optimistic, I'm just going to start cranking through that list. And I'm, I'm not necessarily going to focus on the things that were most important. And I'm not necessarily going to, going to use the time well. I might, um, might get the, the end of the day and find that I only did a couple of things, or I might do a couple of easy things and find that I have time left over and, and, and sort of waste that time on something that I'm not happy about. But if I can, if I can sit there sort of thoughtfully and plan out, all right, what do I need or want to do today? And what's the highlight? Um, where does that fit on my calendar? What does that mean for the rest of my day? Then when, when that time rolls around, I don't have to second guess myself. I can pour my energy into the thing that I, that I'm, that I plan to do. What if you have a day where, like, I'm thinking about my day tomorrow, and I have a speech that I'm giving in the morning, and I'm going to be at that conference for a little bit, and then I'm going off and I'm having a, you know, a, a meeting with a company, and between travel and getting there and set up, that's going to be my day. Yeah. But I've got this long list of things I would like to have be my highlight, mm. uh, and and by by the nature of my day. Am I just choosing one of those two things and saying this is going to be my highlight or would you approach it differently? Personally, I would choose one of those two things um, or I might I might bend my own rules and say that there's actually two things, you know, sort of uh, take myself uh, through the process of, of you know, getting excited for the, the first thing and then kind of, you know, resting and rebuilding my energy for the second thing. Um, but I think it's an interesting exercise to go through because I often um, commit to things that are far in the future that I am not excited about doing when they arrive. <laughs> and so I think that um, if a day like that is coming up and you and you look at your calendar and you think, um, you know, I've got really, really, there's no slack in this day. I've Everything's kind of planned out. But none of the stuff that I'm committed to is highlight material. That's I think that's a moment for reflection. I think that's a, a chance to say, um, why is that? Can I can I sort of can I change my brain to be excited about something I've already committed to? Or is this something that I need to work on for the future? Do I need to get better about saying no? Do I need to get better about making these things uh, maybe take up less time, be more efficient in terms of the time they use? Um, but either way, kind of asking yourself that question. There's sort of a third option too, which is which is where I struggle a little bit, which is I'm actually very excited to do the speech. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And the meeting I'm fine with. I think it'll be good. <laughs> but I've got five other things I'm really excited about getting traction on. And and so like if I were to pick the thing I want to get traction on tomorrow, it might be different than what I have scheduled for tomorrow. But it's not that I'm not excited about those other things. It's that I almost get a little nervous about the things I'm not doing because that stuff needs to get done. And, you know, maybe the answer is schedule that stuff farther out. So it's like the speech and like there's, you know, if I'm going to, if I've got to, you know, write a, 
proposal for a new book or to kind of write the outline of this new book, then I've got to put it in my calendar for next week on Wednesday, if that's what it's going to take in order to make sure I, I, it becomes the highlight for that day. Yeah. Well, and I think that the, the, the research on attention and focused work, uh, and as well as, you know, my own experience, maybe you felt this as well, is that big chunks of work like that, they do require some breathing room. You know, it's it's unrealistic to to give a talk and have a big meeting and write a book proposal in one day. Um, right. We might, if we look at the hours in the calendar, we might think we can do that. But, you know, typically we just don't have the the energy or the endurance to, to truly do a good, a good job on those things. So for me, part of make time, part of the book and part of the way that I plan my days is, it's about trying to make good use of my time, but it's also being honest with myself and and recognizing my my limitations. So that's really important to talk about because I mean certainly for me because I I think I, um, in fact I just had this conversation with my mother who is worried about how hard I push myself, <laughs> and uh, who said to me, you know you have to slow down, and when you meditate twenty minutes a day twice a day. I'm not sure that fits into the category of slowing down. It's just another thing in your calendar that's scheduled that you do right before and right after something. Do you take time to like sort of do nothing? And I thought it was a very insightful point that she made. And with all of the stuff that we have to do, it's a little hard to even know what slowing down means. And it's a little hard to build, to be, to be realistic in that way and not, I mean, for some of us certainly to like not, not push ourselves because I can take that other meeting. Like I can do it yeah. and I'll be a little tired, but I could still pull it off. It's like doing one more rep of a weight, yeah. you know, and building your muscle. So do you have any tips? And this is sort of, we're maybe jumping from highlight to energize and skipping laser, but we'll get back to it. You know, any tips for, for doing what you just said, which is to be realistic about our limitations. I think that uh, for, for me, the process of, planning out my day of scheduling it in uh, helps me stay sort of stay realistic. Um, but I think uh, even though it might seem counterintuitive, you know, like, you know, every minute of your day is scheduled and spoken for, that can actually be a path to keeping things in balance. Because, for example, you can schedule in going for a run or going for a walk. You can schedule in cooking dinner at home and sitting down with, you know, with your, your, your spouse or family to eat dinner. Um, and, and the nice thing about approaching your day in that way is that you can make that decision and put that stuff on your calendar beforehand. You know, you can do it the day before or the week before when you're, when you're in a good position to think rationally and think objectively about what will I want to be doing? How will I want to feel? Um, and you can make that plan and then follow it. On the, on the other hand, though, like one of the things we read about in the book is the idea of, of going all in, of, of when there is something that is truly exciting uh, and, and engaging that you enjoy spending time on, letting yourself do that, letting go of fear, you know, fears or feelings that that other people might put on us about doing too much or, or you know, spending too much on, on, you know, too much time working, something like that. And just sort of embracing the fact that you are excited about it. And that honestly is how you want to be spending your time. All right. Give us another energized tactic. I, I kind of like this learn your last call, but, but <laughs> you know, maybe share what that is yeah. very briefly. And then... Well, yeah. Learn Your Last Call is part of is from a, a whole section in the book about uh, caffeine 
um, and we, 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 we sort of studied the chemistry of caffeine and, and how it works um, and came up with a bunch of, a bunch of uh, suggestions for people. And Learn Your Last Call is really about getting realistic about when you should have your last cup of coffee during the day because uh, caffeine sticks around in your, in your bloodstream for a long, long time. Uh, after six hours, half of the caffeine from whatever you consumed is still there. So it's still circulating. Um, so if you have a, a cup of coffee at four, half of the caffeine from that coffee is still in your body at 10 p.m. Um, so it's having some effect on your ability to sleep for sure. So should should people be just not drinking? I mean, is, is caffeine one of those tactics that um, reflects our lack of admission of our limitations? <laughs> That's an interesting question. My take is that uh, is that caffeine is good, um, that it's 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 OK to good. Uh, there has been some research recently about the health benefits of caffeine and of coffee. And I think that studies do show that people have better memory, better ability to focus when they're when they're you know consuming caffeine. To me, it's very much like technology. It's very much like media, anything else um, where uh, it's good as long as you're in control of it. It's not in control of you. Certainly, you don't want to be so dependent and so addicted to caffeine that you're just drinking cup after cup after cup all day long. Um, but I think uh, if you can understand how it works and use it strategically, it can really be a boost. And and so what what we suggest in the book is um, to uh, wait to have your first cup of coffee um, until about 9, 9.30 a.m., which I will admit is not something that I personally do. That's something that Jake does and that uh, a, a bunch of people who have read the book have tried, but, um, but all, not all the tactics in the book work for, for both of us. Um, but then perhaps more critically, have your, your, your second and final cup of coffee right after lunch, so around 1 or 1.30, when your body's going to start to get a little bit sluggish after eating, but before it's too late so that it's going to mess with your sleep. Can meditation replace caffeine? I don't know. Um, meditation is another thing that, uh, that Jake really swears by um, and that I have tried but I felt like I didn't get as big of a boost from it as I, as many people do. And I think it's because um, I have a lot of space in my day. I like to, I like to do a lot of chores and things with my hands and sort of do things the hard way or the slow way. Um, and part of why I like to do that is that it creates, it creates mental space. It creates the ability for me to kind of have these meditative periods, even if they're not quite as, as structured or as guided as, as capital M meditation. Um, we don't have a ton of time, but shoot out. Like I, like what I love about the uh, big piece of the laser stuff is, like one of my big takeaways was clear out your phone, like take, yeah. create an environment that makes it less likely that you're going to get distracted. And you talk about it in terms of infinity pools, you talk about it in terms of your inbox, yeah. you talk about it in terms of, you know, kind of literally you say being the boss of your phone, but yeah. what, what are some things like low hanging fruit people should just do that <laughs> will help them gain some control? Yeah. By far the most powerful change, which is also very simple, but, but feels scary is to remove all of the infinity pool apps from your phone. And so that's any app that has an endless and sort of 
automatically replenishing source of content. So certainly Twitter and Instagram and, and social networks like that, but but also um, the stocks app and and news and and email and even uh, the web browser. Um, the the phone is you know even without all those apps, smartphones are absolutely amazing. They can do such cool, useful, fun, delightful things. But there's something uh, very difficult about having all that temptation, all that distraction at your fingertips in your pocket. Um, I think you know I personally you know I do email and I and and Twitter and and those types of things on my computer, um, and having them sort of you know, just that much further away, having them not literally on my person at all times helps right. me have a healthier relationship. But, uh, but you know, if, if there's only one thing that people try after listening to this, this uh, conversation, I would suggest try removing any infinity pool apps from your phone uh, and just do it as a three day experiment and, and just see how it feels. It's super easy to put them back on. Yeah. A web browser, for example, I find that I'm needing it if I have to find a place or I'm going to a restaurant and I need the address or I need to call them or something. Yeah. So how do you handle that? Well, um, so for the specific examples that you just brought up, I just use uh, Maps. So I just use Google Maps, um, which in my, in my opinion falls into the wonderful yet not distracting category of apps. So that's interesting. And you can get all of that. Like yeah. you, any of those things you can get on. I've never used Google Maps for that. Yeah. I've used it for directions, but not for. So if I'm looking for a restaurant and the name of the restaurant or to call them, I could all do it all on Google yeah, Maps. Yeah, absolutely. Or Yelp. You could use Yelp for that. Um, uh, the the web browser is kind of a it's it's both the the Swiss Army knife of distraction, um, but at the same time it's kind of a it's kind of a nice pressure release valve. So, for example, I don't have email on my phone, but if I'm traveling or on the go and I need to pull up an email, I will re-enable the web browser. I'll go and log into my email via the web browser, and then when I'm done, I can turn it off again. So it's kind of this nice uh, this nice pathway to access. On a, you know, on a limited basis, some of the things that you might need in in these situations like you're talking about. It's great. And I, what I'll say is after reading the book, I took off all the movie channels <laughs> like the Netflix and the Amazon Prime. And 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 actually, I'm I'm about to give a speech for Showtime. And so I pulled Showtime back on in order to watch some of the shows. So I knew what I was talking about. Uh, and then but I plan to take that off. But I, I, and I also, there's one app that was really helpful for me that you mentioned in the book called Compose, mm, mm -hmm. which is an app where you can write an email yep. without, without looking at all the other emails because it's, all it does is compose. The problem is you have to have email on your phone in order to use Compose, and then it becomes very tempting to go <laughs> right. check your email. Yeah, so the workaround so for that, that is to create a new email account. So just go to, you know, for Gmail or, or, uh, Yahoo Mail or whatever, and create a new email account that you only use for sending email, and then install that one on your phone, and then use the Compose app. And then if people reply to that, you're creating a new reply to that replies to your old your other. Email yeah, you address? can set it up to. Um, uh, I don't know if if Compose app supports reply tos, but you could set it up to forward, so you could like have those anything that comes into that that account you could have automatically forward to your your real email account. All right. I'm going to try that because I really like taking this yeah. stuff off my phone. John Zaratsky, he is the author with Jake Knapp of Make Time, How to Focus on What Matters Every Day. This is just like we've really just hit the tip of the iceberg of ideas, of ways to sort of, you know, in this day and age, take back control of your life so that you end a day feeling not only busy, but also productive and well-rested. And John, thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. 
Yeah. Thanks, Peter. It was fun. Hi, Peter Bregman here again. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I want to remind you at the close that we are looking through applications now for the Bregman Leadership Intensive. I would love one of those applications to be you. Please go to the URL bregmanpartners.com forward slash leadership to learn more and apply for the intensive. It will really develop in an unimaginable way your emotional courage and impact your leadership and your life. Again, we cap it at 20 people, so don't hesitate to apply now. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to speaking to you again next week.